Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. It's here where we promise to bring you everything, every time for everybody. And it's Sunday. It's Sunday, the 13th of September. And I have to say it's a wonderful day for me because we are joining the wonderful Michelle Meow show in our weekly show here every Sunday. So it's kind of new for us here. We're on progressive voices, people. I love it. I love it. And I hope that you're going to enjoy our new format as we join the family here on this station. Um, It brings me great joy to be here with Michelle, and I hope that we add to her show as much as I know she adds to ours. How's that? Well, I'm going to go right into what we're going to do today because it's going to be kind of a a wonderful, informative day, hopefully for you all. Um, I do have a guest that will be joining me later on in the program, and if you don't know her, you will definitely want to pick up her latest album, which she released at the end of July this summer, and it's Melissa Ferrick. She is a rock folk artist who's actually been singing for quite some time, but she just released her 12th original material album, um, like I said earlier this summer, and we're going to play some of the music underneath the interview, so you get a little bit of a taste and feel of it all, but let me tell you, she's got some real great things to say, not only in her music, but you'll enjoy some of the things that she'll say in the interview, I'm sure. Now, one thing that we've added to the format of our show that we did not have in our previous formats is that I'm going to start off with a thing called The Debate, and you wonder what that is well you know those those looming questions that we have about why something exists in the world we're going to kind of talk about those on the course of our shows over the weeks and our first debate is you know out there the straight recording artists happen to be courting the lgbtqi community more so than ever You know, and I mean in a big way where there's big money being thrown out of different campaigns that are geared specifically for our community. And I wonder, and I'm sure some of you have wondered, is this genuine or is this just a PR thing to get the gay folks on their side? Because, you know, I've interviewed many, many recording artists over the years, and I will say that probably 95% of them will always tell me that a gay fan is an eternal fan, that they enjoy performing before them. They enjoy hearing that they buy their music because they know that fan is generally going to be loyal to them for as long as they're probably around. And there are some performers out there that we can probably attest that their careers would have ended earlier had they not had their gay fans who have stuck with them through thick and thin, more so probably than the thin times than in the thick times. So, um, So I've heard that from many of the performers, but many times they say that their record companies are the ones that hold them back from actually going out there and courting that fan base of theirs because, you know, they don't want them to be labeled as um, a gay icon even maybe sometimes. There's a fear of that. And, you know, so, so some of that is the answer. Like, take for instance, I used to talk a lot about Nick Jonas over the last couple of years, you know, because that is my baby daddy. I have to tell you that now. But Nick Jonas is one that has been very open about uh, his courtship of the gay community. He's actually been doing performances and making appearances in gay clubs across the country and even the world. He did some promotion stuff over in the U.K. um, to the point where he's taken off his shirt. He's been tied up, excuse me, on stage. Um, And but when he has been asked the question on whether or not 
he's courting um, the gay community for basically PR reasons and PR reasons alone. Um, he makes it very clear that his intentions are, are due to his own personal beliefs um, and that he felt that as a Jonas brother, that the group did not do a very good job of reaching out to the gay community, even though they knew that that was a large part of their fan base. Um, he also goes on to say that his um, his involvement with the gay community started way back when he was a little kid in musical theater, and so that um, he's, he has you know he honestly has friends and and uh, social socializes with the gay community uh, all the time. Um, so in that regard, you would think that uh, he's being very sincere in his outreach to the LGBTQ community. As a matter of fact, on his new uh, TV show, which just finished um, their first season, and I think they're still continuing to film their second season, and that's DirecTV's Kingdom, he actually plays a gay character. Again, was that coincidental? Was that a part of the plan? Um, you know, I guess one, we c can always say that we can leave that question out there. But I think Nick is being very um, honest about his um, desire to reach out to his gay fans and let them know that not only that he understands who they are, but he actually appreciate, appreciates uh, their loyalty um, to him as an artist. Um, I recently interviewed another artist out there who is um, actually making her debut on a new label that she hasn't had in, oh, I don't know, how long has she been? She was on the... On the um, um, uh, the cowl uh, label from the UK. I'm talking about Leona Lewis, who left her label um, and, and is on a brand new label with her new release, which actually comes out, uh, actually just came out on the 11th. So two days it's been out. That's Leona Lewis's new album, I Am. But I interviewed her, and that interview will be coming out on Gloss Magazine on September 18th. But I had to post to her the question of her recent reach out to the LGBTQ community because she's been showing up at clubs and making some special appearances. And she, too, um, kind of uh, spoke up uh, about what labels have been doing. Like sometimes you don't have the freedom to actually do the things that you want to do or address the groups of people that you'd like to. And with her album, I Am, it is all about empowerment, the album itself. And I think her reaching out to the gay community is a part of that and letting them know that she understands, even though she is not a gay artist, of course, um, but some of the same things that our community has gone through as, as far as being stifled in certain areas of their lives, she also has felt in her previous uh, recording contract with the, her previous studio. So again, I think that's also something that is very earnest and on her part. Um, about being uh, wanting to let her fans know, gay or not gay, that they're appreciated, and she wants to do that in a very open and public way. So I want to do that. But there's others. We can go down the list. We know we know tons and tons of recording artists out there today who have been making those uh, appearances and those statements and playing gay characters on shows and all that good stuff. Um, but I'm going to pose the question out there to you, the public, um, and have you respond to that. And I've got some goodies for you if you actually happen to send me an email. So what I really want you to do is to answer the question. Um, all these straight recording artists that happen to be courting the LGBTQI community as of late in such a large, big way, open, public way, is it sincere 
or is it all a PR thing? And so I want you to answer that question for me. And you can send your answer to it's everything, one word, at bbsweetfire.com. What I'm going to do for you is I'm going to go through those and as I choose the ones I'd like to kind of read over the air next week on the 20th, um, I'm going to send you all a gift. So make sure that you include in that your name so that I can, um, um, you know, reference that when I'm reading it out there to on the air to the to the public out there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a gift for doing that. I'm not going to tell you what that gift is, you know. It could be very, very simple. It could be very, very grand. But, you know, I do want to acknowledge uh, the fact that you actually responded. Now, you do have until Tuesday of next week to do that, and that's until the 15th. So if you send me to it's everything at bbsweetbriar.com, you're answering the question. Straight recording artists are now courting the LGBT community larger, bigger than before. Is that being sincere or is it a PR thing? Okay, you have until the 15th. And as a matter of fact, why don't you also tell me if there's somebody out there specifically that you think um, um, is definitely somebody that um, is it, you know, favoring either side that you want to speak on, someone you want to reference in there that is doing it sincerely or that you think is all a PR thing and that they're really not in it to win it. They're just in it for the money. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? Well, good. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to take a commercial break. And when I come back, I'm going to introduce you to our guest, Melissa Farrick. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with, but work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. We always appreciate that. And now it brings me great pleasure to introduce you to our guest today on It's Everything, who happens to be performing um, uh, or just recently released her brand new album, which is her 12th. And she has uh, been releasing music for almost, what, 22 years or so. Long time, long time. (laughs) But we've been enjoying her deeply personal brand of rock 
spoke for that period of time. And, and she just officially released that album this summer. It's her self-titled album. And in many ways, it marks a new beginning for her. It's led by two singles called Careful and um, Scenic View. That's it, Scenic View. And should be hearing those those playing underneath this interview that we're about to partake in. And of course, I'm talking about the one and only Melissa Farrick, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce Melissa to the show. How are you doing, Melissa? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you calling from, are you in Boston right now, right? Yeah, I'm in Boston. So yeah, it's really, really hot. Uh, it's really hot here as well. We're, we're, yeah. we're probably having some of the hottest weather ever in San Francisco, so we're probably tick for tack. However, you've got that humidity that bothers me, so I don't know how you're surviving that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, <laughs> lot of air conditioners, and, and after the winter that we had in Boston, nobody's really, everybody's kind of like walking around looking at each other being like, we're not allowed to. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to congratulate you on releasing your 12th album. And I think that number alone, you know, um, the, the I, I, some people call it the Dirty Dozen, I guess it is. But you've oh, got, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if that fits for you here, but that's that's a big milestone to get to 12 albums. You know, relatively, that means we almost were putting out an album like every year and a half or so. But I think you probably had a little break in between. You just kind of started picking up rolling steam again. Um but, you know, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, there's this kind of crazy number out there, which is um, it's, there's 17 releases before this one. But I, I have like this, um, I always have this guttural reaction whenever someone introduces me and says, you know, uh, was like at, well, I, teach, I teach at Berkeley College of Music. And mm-hmm. sometimes when they introduce me to students, if I'm lecturing or something, it's okay with you know, Melissa has 17 albums, and that's kind of a little bit like, oh, exactly. <laughs> so I, I was really specific with the publicist about making sure that people saw that it was 12 original albums, because I don't really count live records as as releases, because it's not new material, right. you know, and, and I did like an EP once, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of like the here and there records. But yeah, yeah 12 albums of, of all original material is... It's kind of it's kind of interesting yeah, it's kind of too crazy, that, yeah. that that it's even crazier that to think that this is your first self titled album. You know you know how sometimes when you're listening to artists like particularly new artists they want to kind of make sure we remember their names. So usually their first couple albums might be their their name. You know exactly. This, yeah. Now we're at this point, and now you say, you know what? I'm going to put my name on it. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a huge. That was really fan driven too. You know, mm-hmm. the whole album was was funded by fans. And- and a new company that I opened called Voxco Audio, but um, we um created this company, and I and I had all the um the song titles listed up for for, for the members to help me kind of put the songs in order because they had heard rough demos, and also to, to choose a title because most of the time, like you're saying, if you do self-title a record, historically it's always the first album and sometimes the second album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had one person reply. Why don't you self-title it? It sounds so much more like you mm-hmm. than ever before, and it's like a an answer to a. There was a record I put out in 2005 called The Other Side, and 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 she had particularly referenced that album, saying it just sounds like the, you know, a decade later of experience, um, almost a bookend to The Other Side, and I thought that was really smart of her because it really is. That's, the Other Side was the only other album I've ever made completely on my own, and. Yeah, uh, meaning you know, produced and recorded, and, and yeah, because this is a solo. This is a solo thing in all sense of the word. You did everything on this album. 
Yeah, I did everything except uh, except create the artwork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, cu- you mean no cut and paste? There was no cut and paste yeah, by yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I, I seriously considered it. <laughs> <laughs> now this is now is this album is this album um, the beginning of the relaunch for your own record label or was there an album yeah. before? Okay, right on records, yeah, no, right? Yeah. yeah, it's this one. Yeah, yeah, right on records. I was on a, a record label called Empress Records for the last two releases, mm-hmm. and um, and that. That was that was really good, you know. It was good. It was a lot of money uh, behind the records, and, um, but I just uh, you know that makes me uh, start to get very very nervous when people start to spend more money than a record's going to make, and you know, and I'm ultimately responsible to pay that money back by record sales. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was already in an enormous amount of debt uh, once in my life when I when I ha- ended up having to I ended up having to really put rental records on hiatus. And, and sign with them because I ran out of money and um, almost I had a truck taken away and uh, the company, I had claimed uh, chapter 13 and um, I had to go through a, I'm finishing up that five year period right now of, of, of learning how to not get into debt again and it's been a huge um, a huge growth huge growth and yeah. experience for me to go through and um, and I, so I learned you know a lot and I took a break from, from spending all of my own money and, and I learned how to Fund. I had learned how to campaign fund. I did a Kickstarter that worked, and uh, I have no credit cards. <laughs> but you know, that's, that, that, that Kickstarter seems to be one of those things that a lot of independent artists um, are using successfully. Um, many, many, I mean, I could, we could probably go down a long list of names oh, yeah. that we're both familiar with of artists yeah. who have used that. Um, and that seems to be definitely have been successful for you to in releasing this particular album and get you out of that that cliche of saying you know an artist you know starving for their art because um, you've already been that route so this one <laughs> will be a lot a lot easier the one thing that you know I know you've actually described your music as rock folk which is kind of the opposite of when I've heard folk rock um, is there really a difference between the two I mean what why the rock first versus the folk first um, I don't know. I mean, it's always, you know, I, I just, it's kind of stuck when people want me to, you know, uh, use a specific term to kind of uh, classify the kind of music that I make. But I understand why people need it because they, they need to understand, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, what kind of stuff is it? You know, like, what am I going to go here? Or I don't, if somebody said, you know, hip hop electronica, I, I probably wouldn't want to go. Right, know? right, it's right. Exactly. My, not really my bag, you know, so, um, so, but, but I think, you know, on, on this record, I clicked the box and just said singer-songwriter. There's boxes you click with <laughs> when, you, when you upload your stuff to iTunes and, you know, to put it in a category. And um, there's, you know, indie, indie folk, folk rock, uh, rock, alternative, alt Americana, you know, it's just like it's endless, the list of, of styles now. So, so picking singer-songwriter has been um, kind of a relief. I used to say rock folk because in the past, uh, my aggressive uh, and fast playing and, and, and aggressive singing too, you know, I mm-hmm. felt like really I wanted to make sure that people understood that you, know, you weren't coming to see Jewel, you know, mm-hmm. you, you were more coming to see like a Pete Townsend, Bruce Springsteen kind of meets uh, Joan Armitrading vibe, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's lyrically driven, um, but it's uh, sung and played in uh, in a desperation that is ta- uh, tangible, and I, and I think that, that that gives it, you know, a rock edge or, you know, Desperateness, I think, is really, really probably rooted in punk music. I mean, if we really wanted to, 
to get truthful here. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. change and, and um, revolution. And, right. Uh, whether whether that be, you know, for me and my music, personal revolution um, rather than political. But there's a lot of that in, in, um, in quintessential punk music. And punk music in, it, in and of itself was the first DIY um, music scene, you know, started in the early 80s. 80s, right. In D.C., yeah. So, so that, you know, that whole Fugazi world and... I, I love I love the history of of, um, of rock and roll in that way, you know, of, mm-hmm. of indie artists, of indie of indie art. Period. You know, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. all, all all mediums really. So. Well, you are yeah. when you like, I I guess we can say that you kind of started the career part of what you do. I mean, you're, you've always been an yeah. artist, of course, but your career part in the early '90s, and at that point, I understand that you were kind of referred to as the other Melissa, referring yeah. to Melissa <laughs> Etheridge. Um, however. You were always an openly gay artist. It was never um, um, something that came after a few albums or whatnot, um, reminiscent of, of Melissa's uh, Etheridge career. Um, and so my question to you on that is because you were immediately signed, or you were early signed onto Atlantic Records, you have to have been one of their first openly gay artists to be on that label. Yeah, you know, I wonder if I wasn't the first one. I don't really know. I know that... Um like really specific here. My first record came out in 1993 and they actually asked me if I would come out to use it as a pub, as part of the publicity oh, for really? the album. And I, yeah, and I think that uh, and I said no. Mm-hmm. I was 22 years old and uh, I was really uh, I, I just was terrified, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so on the second record I came out and uh, and the you know the story goes that after that the second record came out in 1995 and I had been to Melissa Etheridge's Yes I Am album release show uh, in Hollywood and um, I met her before the the show and I was very nervous and um, she came, and I you know shook her hand somebody injured, I don't even remember who it was uh, someone from Melissa uh, is, you know me, Melissa Etheridge and she shook my hand and she said. Ah, so you're the other Melissa, and and, and 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 that was really like sweet of her. And I and I, when I did an article for Out Magazine with at that time Cassidy Jazz Bono, um, you know, uh, he was doing my interview at that time, and and he's he was an old friend, so mm-hmm. we were kind of shooting the you know what together at the table having coffee. And I told him that story, and then and then he titled the article "The Other Melissa." And at the same time, I had done a feature for The Advocate, and I think that Peter Galvin did that interview, and he as well titled the, the, the piece "The Other Melissa." So I had two covers on both of the largest queer magazines, both titled "The Other Melissa." And, it, and from that moment on, I <laughs> it was, stuck, right? It stuck with you. It stuck, yeah. And it really wasn't good. I mean, I had a ton of I, I had a ton of hardcore Melissa Etheridge fans think that it was something bad like that i was trying to like diss know, her or something her yeah or something yeah, like that. yeah. Like, it really really um people would show like show up at my shows wearing melissa Etheridge t-shirt and like yell at me and stuff <laughs> like <laughs> i was like wow i mean i don't even know her like i <laughs> right like, you know it's like yeah she was being sweet like Wait a minute. Let me tell you the whole story. But yeah, dogged me for years. Oh gosh. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I brought it up then. Okay. Totally fine. We're gonna start it all over again. Great. Great story. Well, you're actually on the. You're beginning to get on the road. I'm. I'm assuming for the promotion of the album, which was actually released at the end of July. So it really kind of kicked off the summer there. And I have to say that you know, a lot of people may not 
out there listening may not realize, but this is a complete acoustic album. It's just you and the guitar. And yeah. I think what's really interesting when I listen to it is the fact that you kind of lose sight of the fact that there aren't any other instruments because you get so um, hypnotic from the actual melodies and the lyrics. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of vocal work on the record, and you know, there are some beautiful bass lines on there, and um, there's a couple of songs that have... Well, on Careful, there's a very subtle kick drum in the, in mm-hmm. the way in the background. And um, on Relief, there's a little percussion thing that I did on the side of a, of a drum. But uh, the other thing is that there aren't any um, overdubbed guitar parts, um, really. So it, it's really a single acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. It took a long, long time. To, um, on Scenic View, at the end, at the very end of Scenic View, I... I played a national strung guitar, which is like a high strung guitar, just to add a little shininess to the end of it. So that's the only double guitar part on the entire record. So oh, wow. There's a ton, ton of vocal work. I made the record on a 16 track, so what's wonderful about that is you can't do too much. You can only do 16 things. Right, uh, as opposed to so, 32 or whatever those other numbers that they yeah, usually throw out there. Yeah. But when, yeah, you're, well, when you're a natural stuff. singer like you, unlike some of the new fabricated singers that um, I tend to talk a lot about on shows. <laughs> um, you know, you don't necessarily need all those tracks, right? You can actually kind of go through, and we love to hear, because your voice is so beautiful, you know what I mean? It's like, it's so nice to hear the melodic sound in your voice, which is very, kind of reminiscent, not, I'm not trying to say tonal-wise, but kind of reminiscent of, yeah. of um um, oh, what's her name? Um, the brother and sister um, back in the 70s. Um, uh, close to you. Um, you know, the brother know. and sister. Um, but anyway, I'll think about it and I'll bring it up okay, some other time. Right. But you have a very, very soothing voice. And so it's really nice. The to Carpenters. Be able, the Carpenters. Thank you so much. There you go. You've got yeah. that. You know what I mean? And I think that's where it comes from where we captured... Uh, we we get so hypnotic in listening to what you're saying because your your voice does that to us. So now this is on iTunes, right? And it's called Melissa Ferrick, and you yeah. can get it on iTunes. So we want to make sure everybody knows that out there. And they've been listening to underneath here, uh, careful and scenic view. And I also threw a little bit of say yes on there because I have to tell you that's my favorite song on the album. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I want to yeah. thank you for being on the show and I'm going to let you get back to doing something that you probably were being more productive in doing than talking to me. <laughs> well, I'm finishing, I'm finishing the making a lyric video for CDQ so I can post it later on my YouTube channel. So yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, and you enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Okay. That was Melissa Farrick here on It's Everything. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. 
I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Well, hello, you guys. Welcome back again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Melissa Farrick. Um, like I said, if you didn't know her before, hopefully you will check her out now. She's been an openly gay artist for quite some time and um, has done a really good job in um, making sure that we listen to her voice. Uh, again, that was her 12th. This is her 12th original material album, Melissa Farrick, which you can get on iTunes. And since we're talking about music, I, what the heck? You know, we're here on It's Everything. We're known for giving away a lot of things like DVDs and music CDs and that type of thing. And so I do have one out there for you now. Just recently coming off of her appearance in San Diego this past weekend or weekend before last during Labor Day weekend, she was at San Diego for the matinee gay circuit party performing uh, there. I'm talking about JoJo. You guys remember JoJo, who's been on a long hiatus. She's also an actress, and she's just returning back to her music roots. And she's putting out a thing called a tringle. Do you hear me, guys? That's a tringle. You think a single? Well, what if you have a single that has three songs on it? Most of us call that an EP. Well, she's calling it a tringle. So she's released a thing called JoJo 3 Tringle. Um, it includes three single releases. Those are Say Love, Save My Soul, and When Love Hurts. And When Love Hurts is the big club banger on there for all you dancers out there. Um, but that's from her forthcoming uh, third album, um, which is due to be released sometime this coming fall. So you might want to listen in on the news for that release date because it has not been released as of now. And you can listen to the audios of the three songs that I just mentioned to you on her YouTube her YouTube channel. Um, but I will have them on CD for you for three lucky winners out there. And it's very easy. All you have to do is send me an email um, and put JoJo3 
Tringle in the subject line. I know, JoJo3 Tringle. That's kind of weird. Um, in the subject line, plus your name in the body. That's all you have to do is put your name in the body of the email, and I will choose three people from that. You have until Tuesday of this week to do that, which will be on the 15th of September. And then I will pull a name and I'll announce, or three names, and I'll announce the winners next week and I'll send them out to you. Okay, that's a JoJo 3 Tringle CD release. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so hopefully you guys will participate in that. Now I just want to talk about grandmas. I know you're going to say, what, grandmas? Well, I just recently discovered a gay grandma, and it's kind of the grandma that you kind of all of us would really love to have. You know what I mean? One that kind of understands you or helps you through difficult times and in a really rambunctious way that you would mostly associate with a teenager, you know, just kind of out there. But, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't a real grandmother. It was Grandma the Movie. Have you guys seen it yet? It's been out for a couple of weeks now. I'm talking about Lily Tomlin's new feature film called Grandma. And I had an opportunity over the last week or so um, to speak with Lily Tomlin as well as the the movie's writer and director, Paul White. You guys remember Paul White. He's the one who directed the very first American Pie, and he also directed Little Fockers um, as well. But I got a chance to speak with both of those, and they, that interview is currently in Left of Magazine as we speak now. But I thought I would kind of go over that a little bit here because Lily Tomlin is coming back, y'all, in a huge way. You probably have seen her recently in her new Netflix series with Jane Fonda called Grace and Frankie, where she plays Frankie, kind of that that um, bohemian-style woman who, you know, is all natural, conscious, and all of that wonderful, flowy, let the air breathe, you know, come all into your face, and you run in the, in the, in the weeds in the fields and all of that. She kind of represents that kind of a character on the, on, the, on the show. And that's actually her third series um, in the last, what, uh, since 2012. So she's really been making a presence, and this is also her third film since 2012 but this is her first feature where she is a star oh since 19 i think 1988 1988 when she did big business with uh, bet midler so it has been a while since we have seen her in a film as its star carrying the film and if you haven't seen grandma or you haven't even heard about it which you should have because it was all the talk at the um at the film festival earlier in the year, the Sundance Film Festival in January, uh, where it was picked up immediately by uh, Sony Pictures Classic um, after it viewed uh, was was viewed there in January. And as a matter of fact, not only did Sony pick it up, they picked it up w- without asking for any revisions to the way the film was originally presented by Mr. White. So um, this story, to me, is is well-directed and uh, well-acted as well. And the cast isn't all that big. Um, But let me tell you a little bit what the storyline's about, if you don't know about it. It, um, Lily Tomlin plays a a lesbian grandmother by the name of Elle. And I don't even know if that Elle really does represent Lily. Um, And she gets a visit at her home by her 18-year-old granddaughter, who's played by uh, Judy uh, Greer, and this is, she's really good in this, by the way. The, she's a young actress, but she's really, really good. And her, and her name is Sage in the, in the film. And she gets this visit um, from her granddaughter because her granddaughter is in need of money to get an abortion. 
I know, right? We were talking about abortion here. Um, to get an abortion, unfortunately, grandma doesn't have the money. So the two have to go on a little journey uh, while um, Elle visits some old friends and whatnot to see if she can gather up the, the money needed uh, for, to help her granddaughter out. And, of course, along the way is what this is all about. This journey is all about the two uh, women growing together um, from one being very experienced to one who's just now um, facing her future. So it's kind of Thelma and Louise, but I like to kind of look at it as more like Granny and Ellie Mae Clampett from Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> because you kind of get that. Sage plays a very um, soft-spoken young lady, kind of like the Ellie Mae. You know, she's probably not, you know, not really well experienced in life. And Granny, you know, we know how outspoken she was. Well, Elle is very much that kind of a character where, um, you know, she says a lot of four-letter words. She has tattoos and just a free spirit out there. And um, so I kind of like to call it the Granny and Ellie Mae Clampett uh, Road. Um, and they're also driving a 1955 Dodge, which happens to be Lily Tomlin's real car. So it you know, kind of gives you a reminiscence of that Beverly Hillbillies feel. But that's what the film is about. It's kind of, uh, you know... Uh, they're growing together, but it also it forces Elle to face some of her past by visiting some of these uh, these characters um, that are in the film um, while uh, Sage faces her future. Now, some of the other co-stars in the movie uh, you may be familiar with, like Elizabeth Pena um, has a role in it. Um, Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black has a very prominent role in the film. And the lone guy, there aren't that many... Um, I think there's two other guys that are in the film, but the lone like star guy in this film is Sam Elliott. And um, he plays a very instrumental part in this film, but it's not really about the abortion really at all. It is part of the, it's one of many issues that are brought up in the film. Um, but all these issues kind of help bring the characters together. Um, so it, it there's not. It's not really trying to make a stance on whether or not abortion is good, bad, or indifferent. Um, it's just one of the issues that is used to um, bring these characters all together. So hopefully, those. I know there's some people out there who may not want to see the film just because of the, they think the subject matter is built around abortion. I'm, I'm here to tell you that it's really not. So you, if you don't want to listen to anybody preach to you one way or the other, um, then you probably will want to see this because it's not going to give you any um, major idea on whether it's pro or, or not um, per se. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, the voice that you kind of hear, as Paul White says in this film, is the voice of Lily Tom, and that's who he heard in his head as he was writing this character and putting this film together. Um, I'm just a big advocate for it because I just think it really kind of takes an old um, radical issue such as abortion and brings it into today's world where um, some young people may address it or look upon that totally different than, say, somebody, Lily Tomlin, who is 75 years old. And when you see her in this film, she looks 50 um, or 45. She really looks young in this in this film and acts young. And when I met her in person and interviewed her, she was extremely vibrant. And I would have never guessed that she was 75. Um, but I think I think um, I think that was part of the reason why abortion was brought up, I think, also is because it's, it's very um it is a catalyst that brings them together, but, it, you know, they approach it at different views, you know, uh, looks at it very differently um, as 
as you will see in the movie. So I'm just going to throw that out there for you guys to see the movie. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that. But um, So Lily Thomas on her way back, ladies and gentlemen. She's got the TV show out there. Definitely pick up Netflix or look at Netflix and look at Grace and Frankie. The new movie, Grandma. I did post her a question on whether or not she'll be doing another play anytime soon. You know, we may or may not remember, but in 1975 she had a Broadway hit called The Search of Intelligent Life in the Universe. The, the Search, excuse me, for Intelligent Life in the Universe. And um, that was written by her longtime collaborator and current spouse, Jane Wagner. So I did ask her if there was another play in the, in, in the, in the wings, and she was very direct and said, you know, she has no control over Jane's creativity. <laughs> But she is waiting for her to, to, she's waiting to go home one day and Jane say, you know what, I finished the play. And she would be more than happy to put one of those out there for us. I'm sure that we would love to see her. So um, let's hope for the best in, in that. What do you think? Okay. Well, go out and see Grandma. Definitely um, enter my contest for JoJo, The Tringle. The three songs in there on her new release or her forthcoming album coming up later this fall. Um, but right now I'm going to take another break. How's that? Give you some more information that you need to listen to. And we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for staying with us as we enter into towards the end of our program here on Progressive Voices. Again, this is It's Everything with me, B.B. Sweetbriar, here on the Michelle Meow Show. And we're going to be here every Sunday. 
from 12 until 1. So hopefully you'll continue to tune in um, for more information here on It's Everything. And, you know, the community news is always prevalent out there in the LGBTQI. Um, But here in San Francisco, of course here in San Francisco, where it always seems like there's always something going on, um, we just recently, as of yesterday, um, elected some new members to our San Francisco Pride Board. And um, this was kind of a really interesting time for the San Francisco Pride um, at their annual meeting because their annual meeting was yesterday, which is when they elect uh, new members to the board. And this time around, out of the 13 uh, seats on the board, seven of those seats were up for um, election and it included four incumbents that were rerunning, and the rest were new folks. And we had a total of 15 candidates, so 11 um, non or current members, of course, of the uh, membership for the San Francisco Pride. But we had 11 candidates that were trying to vie for, or 15 candidates, excuse me, trying to vie for seven seats. Four of them, as I said before, are incumbents. And why this has been, has been kind of in the, the news as far as the community here in San Francisco is concerned is because there were some issues that came up um, prior to the um, the the gay pride that we had here this past June and also leading up to it, almost up to it, some of the, the uh, another thing that came up that was kind of a part of the sponsorship. And um, those things have kind of driven this, um, th- these list of candidates and, and driven this um, board election period. And, and so I'll kind of address those real quickly for you uh, on what those two issues were or are. Um, and very quickly, I'm sure many of you out there that are listening today are familiar with the My Name Is campaign, which addresses the real name policy that is currently being enforced by Facebook, um, where they, they require that all of the people who have accounts on Facebook use their real names um, on their account. Uh, that came up back in October of 2014 when it seemed like a large amount, a disproportional amount of people from the gay community were being targeted and um, on Facebook and they had been requested to prove that the name that they used on their account was actually their legal name. Um, or they were going to have to take the account, or Facebook would take the account down. Now, one thing I want to say to you is that um, Facebook has always said that they are reactive in this policy, that they do not go looking for names, but people report them. So that w- what I'm telling you is that there's a button there when you go and want to report somebody that says that it's not a real account, that the person's using it's not a real name. That is a button that you can choose as opposed to um, somebody's putting a, a bad picture or they have bad behavior like bullying you, harassing you. You know, all those choices are there as well. But um, that is, is a choice. And, of course, um, you know, self-identifying is important to everybody for whatever reason that they need to do. And so the My Name Is campaign was about that. And um, that they formed a group 
that uh, have been fighting that issue and to this day that policy of real name requirement for Facebook is still in place and there are still people losing their accounts every day um, because they are not using what Facebook calls their legal and real name. Um, so that's been a big issue for San Francisco Pride and why you might ask and why is because that my name is campaign group asked face uh, the San Francisco Pride board to not allow Facebook to march in this year's 2015 Pride Parade. And the board came back with um, a decision to allow them to march. So that's the one issue that was on that's on the table that some of the um, the people running for seats or the the candidates um, has some contention with. Um, the other issue was um, the Airbnb uh, was a major sponsor of Pride this year. And again, getting back to the gay community and housing, um, many people believe that Airbnb are a part of the problem of housing because so many people who used to have rental property here are finding it more lucrative to rent their open spaces to people who are visiting for short term. Um, and, you know, pretty much becoming a hotel. And um, that now takes housing off the market for so many people in need, not only the gay community, but many people in need here in San Francisco. Um, so to uh, allow them to sponsor uh, gay pride and in a big way, um, many found wrong for them to do. So those two issues are kind of on the forefront, or on the forefront, on the burners for these um, candidates to... Um, and many of them are running for the for that reason, but I think um, overall some of the it, those are issues. Trust me, I do believe that those are issues that need to be addressed as we go forward, um, in some way or in some fashion, from the board. But that's those are two of a large array of things that um, San Francisco Pride uh, Board has to contend with as they run the course of planning the Pride celebration over the year. Um, so hopefully um, when the election occurred yesterday that that those all those multiple things entered the mind of voters uh, of the membership that um, that they considered all of those things. Um, the membership grew what three times I think um, before um, the pride parade in June. I think there were only a, a couple of hundred of members um, as part of the membership of, of San Francisco Pride. And then after a few campaigns, primarily the My Name Is campaign out there, trying to rah-rah people to become members so that they could vote for new board members specifically, um, you know, we're now like a thousand people now are, are part of the membership of the Pride. So there's gonna there was a large turnout, I'm sure, in in the whole total numbers. I don't know what those numbers are. Um, to go to go in this vote, but I'm going to run down the list of people uh, just so you know who was running and who was um, um, uh, the incumbents, and primarily because on the board there's like I said there's 13 seats, and and I'm not really sure that the present board or the past board now at this point um, represents the people that they represent. Um, and what I mean is like when you look at that board, do you see yourself on that board? And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that would say no. Currently now, because three of the seats that are open, that were open, were due to three people on the board who resigned prior to um, the end of their so-called term or prior to the next election period. 
and um, one of those members happened to be a transgendered woman in transgender women and um, she was the only representative for that particular uh, voice out there and um, I think that seat will continue to be open since there's no one that's running there that kind of meets that that um, that voice there's no transgender person um, that was a candidate and unless the board extends the number of seats on the board as they have done a couple years ago um, that may still be uh, a missing voice on the board also that kind of um, underrepresented is also people of color um, uh, two people I think sit on the board now that might uh, fall in that category and um, Hopefully, we've we've increased that by a bit. There are a couple of other candidates that are running now that would meet um, people of color. There, that's a voice out there that's not on this board. Um, not only do, can we even say that there's most of the people who may be in the uh, gay community who specifically use a name that may not appear on their, their driver's license or Native Americans, um, people of other ethnic backgrounds where they may have tribal names of some sort, which, you know, in their tribal community, that is their name. Um, well, Facebook doesn't recognize that. So having some people that represent and understand that from a societal um, viewpoint uh, and a cultural viewpoint that they have lived all their lives would be important. Uh, another um, underrepresented group is uh, females uh, on the board and um uh, getting, uh, let's say, out of the, I'll, I'll go through the names because then you'll see how many there are. There were a lot of women who were candidates for board seats, and um, so we could definitely have affected that um, greatly with this vote um, that has just occurred as of yesterday. But here are the list of people that, um, and if I mispronounce the name, you know what? Who cares now? The election's over. No. <laughs> No, really, but I, I, I may do that, so I apologize in advance if that happens. But um, So we had uh, Lori Bolella uh, running, Manani Clay, both of those are females, Donald Deusnup, Adam Mahis, Alex Monsanto, uh, Melanie Nathan, Rhonda Pacheco, so another, there's two more females there, uh, Joey Cupcake Stevenson, there's another female, Tom Temprano, David Wagner, John Weber, person of color. Those are uh, non-incumbents. And then the four incumbents are John Caldera, Marsha Levine, or Levine, excuse me, Jesse Oliver Sanford, and Justin Taylor. Those are the four incumbents who are were up for re-election. So the makeup is that there were two people or three people of color, I think, um, on, on the list there that were that are running as um of new candidates so there's a possibility of increasing that number on the board but there were a lot of women one two three four five um that um could definitely have an impact on the current makeup of women represented on the board i just hope that everybody um, knows that, you know, we're always from year to year as we vote for, we're always going to have a hot topic. There's always going to be something that's going to drive, you know, uh, a person to run for the board. And sometimes it overshadows the larger picture. And I'm just hoping that, um, those who voted 
took the larger picture in mind. And um, uh, having a board that's leaning heavy on one issue on one side is not what I consider to be a board that represents this community. I think a board that has different views is wonderful. Uh, if anything, it brings up different views, points of view, and also creates conversation that sometimes gets overlooked otherwise. Um, so hopefully this board, when I come back and announce who the new board members are in our next segment, uh, or our next, excuse me, our next show, that I'll be able to proudly announce that we do have a board that is better representation of our community here in San Francisco. Does that kind of sound good to y'all? I hope so. I want to tell you that I've had a, a very good time talking to you on our first show here on the Michelle Meow show. And I think we do have a little bit of extra time. And so I am going to leave you with uh, one song from um, Melissa Farrick's new album, which is self-titled, that I totally adore. And I think it's my favorite song on the album, as I mentioned in the interview. It's called Say, Ye Say Yes. And it's a little different from the others because it kind of has that waltz feel to it in the music, which I kind of like that. But I really love this song. So I'm going to have that song play us out as we move on. And I will see you next week here on It's Everything. Bye-bye, and you guys enjoy your week.